I mean, what I often talk to couples about is like expanding their idea of what sex is. You know, sex doesn't have to be P-I-V. Right. <laughs> it can be lots of things. Somebody got to cue me or do I cue myself? Cue yourself. Okay. Hey there, it's another episode of Let's Talk Off Camera. So let's get talking. Now listen, little housekeeping to do. There are millions and millions upon millions of podcasts out there. I'm not even kidding. And I love, 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 love that you are listening to our podcast. But I need you to help me out. Let other people know how great our podcast is so they can join the party. Tell your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell that irritating woman in the supermarket. <laughs> and please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is preferred. And even if you don't like it, five stars is also preferred. They know how to uh, qualify whether you like it or not, but just five stars it all, all across. <laughs> um, and then go to the Ask Kelly tab on my Instagram to ask any <laughs> questions you may have so I may respond to them on the show. Um, Jan. Yes. We have questions for today's We do. Show. We do. Some oh. sexy questions. Sexy questions. Yeah. That's perfect because we're going to be talking all about um, couples therapy today. Yeah. That was a very that was our very first episode. Mark came on with me. Um, hence that began the rumor that Mark and I are having a podcast. Um, <laughs> no, it's just my podcast and Mark was a special guest on he the was. first podcast. Um, and we brought on our own marriage counselor, Dr. Linda Carter. Yeah, she was great. All the power of Dr. Linda Carter. All the world is waiting for her. <laughs> and the powers she possesses. Um, anyway, I am a big uh, proponent of couples therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but I did not know how much I loved couples therapy until I saw it on television, on this Showtime show. Um, we are going to be joined today by the doctor of that Showtime series, Dr. Orna Goralnik. Is it Goralnik? Goralnik. You know what's so funny? I have such dyslexia that for three years that I've been watching this show, I've called her Dr. Gerlanik. Gerlanik. Anyway, if you're not watching Showtime's Couples Therapy, which, like I said, is in its third season, it is so good. You don't have to be in a relationship and you don't have to be, be in therapy to enjoy this show. This show is, I think, groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly brave. Um, Albert, do you watch it? Uh, yeah, and I want to know. I look at it and I'm like, where are those cameras? Right. Like, where are they? Are it's they... elegantly shot. And because they're there, and then I'm like, but how did they get that shot? You can't even see them. It doesn't seem like anybody's aware that they're being filmed at right. all. Even though I know that they know you, they're being You filmed. agree. Like, you watch it and you're just stunned. Like, you don't. Stunning. It's as if you're there in the room and you're like, how, how are they shooting this? How are they shooting this? Yeah. Jan? So I only started watching it because I knew, I heard you and Mark talk about how much you loved it. And I'm a big believer of like when you talk about things, you realize so many people have the same problems and 100%. it becomes so normal and these topics aren't taboo. And that was like a lot of the response we got from the first episode that you guys did mm -hmm. where people are like, oh my God, I'm so happy you're talking about this because nobody talks about it. And so like an, a show like that kind of just makes people realize that they're in the same boat as a lot of other people. And it just makes, it just makes everything more normal and you can handle it. I just think it's very brave because we're going to get into it with Dr. Orna, but... You need to hear what happened last night. But I, before night. we get to that, yeah. last night, 
Last night I called Jan at nine o'clock at night. Okay. Thinking, oh shit, it's probably too late. She gets up early, answers the phone very spry. <laughs> okay. Very I like, spry. Yeah, I like it. Uh-huh. I said, am I calling too late? And she said, nope. Our son just walked in on us. <laughs> oh yeah. Which one? Okay. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. I knew we were doing this episode. And I'm like, wow, we haven't had sex in about two weeks. I better have sex two with him weeks. Before, before the episode. Yes. Two weeks. Two weeks. So I was Is like, that like a personal record? No. I'm going to be honest with you. I know that you and Mark are like, you know, bunnies. But we are, you know, there's times where I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm busy, whatever. And I do have the theory that it's like exercise. Like even when you're not in the mood for it. You, have to you do just it. do it because. The more you do it, the more you do it. Yeah. And once you do it, you're like, oh my God, I remember why I like this. And it, there's the benefits. It's right. like all of a sudden your husband's happy. Like it's a good, it's win-win, right? Right. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get this in, especially because <laughs> we're doing this episode tomorrow and I'm not going to be that girl. Right. So we're doing this and all of a sudden door flies open. Caden, 15-year-old son, oh, yeah. comes flying in and he's like, hey. And then silence. Oh, yes. no. horror, the horror of it. Silence, yeah. right? We should have him at this session. Yeah. yeah. Well, his response was, I can't see, I can't unsee what I just saw. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> right. Slams the door, goes into his room. Were you under the blankets? We were partially under the blankets. <laughs> so then, so then, wait, have your kids ever walked in on you? Yes. Twice, twice, both times Lola. And both times on her birthday. Oh, no. It's like the ultimate horrible birthday present. So afterwards, I'm like, Glenn, go talk to him. And right. Glenn's like, what am I supposed to do? Go in and high five him? I'm like, he's your son. You were just sleeping with his mother. You can't high five him. You know, right. like, you have to give him sometimes when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, they do terrible things <laughs> to each other. So Glenn walked in and he's like, hey, you want to watch Survivor with us? And he's like, no, I think I'm good. Yeah, I never want to see you two again. <laughs> Ever again. And Glenn's I like, you don't want to hang out with us? He's like, nope, I'm good. And Glenn walked right out. Yeah. Wait, tell me what happened with Lola. But walked. before you get to that, I do have a follow-up question, though, because I tried getting off the phone with you after that, and you insisted that I stay on. Because yeah. I didn't want to get back to it. But then yeah, you, said, right. then you right. said, I'm like, Jan, you're clearly in the middle of something, and you said, oh, no, Ted Lasso is on. Yes. So, we had moved uh, which on. brings me to my question. Do you, you need watch a ca- Ted Lasso as a as a palate cleanser? It was after the fact. Bro. I just was curious how Ted Lasso weaves his way into it was, your. This is Ted's over. Life. Turn on Ted Lasso. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing that can make it better. <laughs> I had to know. drive him to school this morning, and it was like silence. Silence. <laughs> yeah. Wait, tell me what happened yes. with Lola. So the first time we were in Italy with our parents and our children on what I like to call. The non-vacation. It was allegedly a vacation, but it was really something. It was three small children, and it was Lola's eighth birthday. Her age is important because apparently every eight years she walks in on us. (laughs) No, no. Um, And so we had this cockamamie. There were two doors. The first door didn't lock, but the second door you had to make sure you pulled and locked. And I said to Mark, did you lock that? Oh, no. And he said, yes. And I said, are you sure? Because it sticks. And he's like, you don't have to tell me more than once. (laughs) He got very finicky that I was telling him something more than once. And it was kind of one of those moments where we'd been traveling with parents. I'm in charge of doling out everybody's medication. (laughs) It was exhausting. We had not had a lot of alone time. Anyway, 
everybody goes to bed early because it had been a long day of sightseeing. And then we had this beautiful little cake for Lola. And she went to bed and everybody went to bed. And Mark and I went to bed and he's like, it's now or never. So I encourage him to lock that second door and he tells me he did. And all I know is at a certain point, I made eye contact with my eight-year-old daughter who was standing at the foot of the bed. Oh my God. And Mark vanished. I don't know where he went. I didn't know if he somehow was hanging from the ceiling. Uh, He just vanished. I don't know where he went. So now I'm looking at Lola, who's looking at me, and she's like, I'm thirsty. And I was like, me too. So I said, sometimes mommy and daddy like to have special grown-up time. You know, basically, I I talked to her until I watched her eyes glaze over. And then I put her back in her bedroom and I tucked her in. And then the same thing happened eight years later on her 16th birthday. Literally like the same exact thing where she just threw the door open. This time she said, oh my God, oh my God, my life is over. I used to see in color and now everything is gray. How could you do this to me? On my birthday, what is wrong with you people? And so the moral of the story is she never learned to know. (laughs) And she's going to Nicaragua for her 24th. Yes, she's going. She has been, the past like two birthdays, she's been out of town on her birthday. And I know 24 is definitely an international trip. No, she's going to be, she's only going to be 22. Right, but when she is 24, it's an international trip. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, that would be eight eight years. Right, eight years, yeah. Yes, well, it, hopefully, it, hopefully, by the time she turns 24, we'll, we'll be done having sex. <laughs> oh, no, never. Wait, Cal, did I tell you where my friend was listening oh. to our podcast? No. She, was, she told me that we got her through our, which episode was it? I think it was our Jimmy Kimmel episode. Got her through her vaginal <laughs> rejuvenation. What? <laughs> and that there's two more. And so she wants to listen to the podcast as she does it because she felt nothing because she was happy listening to her podcast. Really? Now, yes. what? Now, which friend is this? I can't name names. names. She said she did it because of like when she runs or jumps or coughs too hard. She she hears a whistle. She pees. Okay. And so she said that this helps. I think there's other things at hand. When she goes to the beach, she hears. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is also like to make things a little spicier. So is that supposed to do something down there? It's supposed to like tighten it all up. I looked it up. I didn't even know what it was myself. It makes you tighter, restores tone to your tissue, increases blood flow. Mm -hmm. And all of this will increase your lubrication. What? I can't stand that word. lubrication. (laughs) Every word you just said, I absolutely hate. The supporting ligaments. Not ligaments. Where did your friend, your friend said he played Oh, yeah, it. Benno, while it performs colonoscopies while listening to Let's he Talk does? on Camera, yes. Shouldn't these people be very still? Are they laughing while they're... He listens to music sometimes, so now it's less, Let's Talk yes. on Camera. That's so interesting. That I love amazing? that we're penetrating the butthole and the vagina. All the holes. All the holes. If you are listening to our podcast in a strange or unusual setting... Will you send that to us? We promise to keep your anonymity, except for Benno. <laughs> except for Benno, who just had his anonymity shattered by shattered. Albert. Um, 
I mean, here's the thing with this vaginal tightening thing. Yeah, if I'm going to spend money on something, true. it's going to be where people see it. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> it's I only on tighten from the neck up. <laughs> from the neck up. Everything else, you know. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? What am I going to get into an accident where suddenly my vagina is showing? <laughs> <clears throat> All right, Jan Albert. Oh. We've blathered on enough. Let's get to the lady of the hour. As you know, I've already mentioned this. Mark and I love to watch her as she guides couples through real-life therapy sessions on the Showtime docuseries, Couples Therapy. Please welcome to the podcast, world-renowned psychologist and psychoanalyst, Dr. Orna Goralnik. Thank you. It's very sweet. Dr. Orna, this <laughs> is a privilege. I am starstruck, which... I think it must be happening to you a lot. I'm assuming people must stop you on the street now. It's it's often very sweet because people talk to me as if we're like close and we know each other. There's a, an immediate intimacy that used to surprise me. Now I understand. People say very sweet things to me. I don't know. There's a certain kind of intimacy, I guess, because of the material that we're dealing with. You have this diffusing capability to your personality that I find really remarkable and utterly um, watchable. Before you signed on, I was explaining to our listeners and to Albert and Jan, my producers, that Mark and I uh, started watching couples therapy separately together. He was stuck in Vancouver working and they had closed the borders for COVID. And I was in New York and we would put on couples therapy and we would hit play at the same time. <laughs> And then we would watch it separately together. And he said to me, do you think we should go to couples therapy? And I had to, because I know my husband, we've been married 27 years. So I know how I have to play this. I have to reverse psychology him into thinking, <laughs> yes. So I said, no, I don't think so. Um, but we did. We entered into couples therapy because we did not want to get to a place of crisis where we were walking into an office like yours. And, you know, s sometimes what I see and hear is it seems beyond repair and watching you navigate what these people are going through and then finding resolution for them is spellbinding. So what I want to know is how did this show come to be? What made you want to do the show to begin with? The show came to be, it was like the brainchild, first of all, of Josh Kriegman, the director, main visionary of the show and his business partner, Lise. You know, they're documentary filmmakers and they had this idea, like, is there a way to like really capture what goes on in therapy rather than, you know, some kind of scripted or sensational way, but like really get close to the fabric of what therapy is really like. And they approached me with this vision. And I first thought this would be like a fun thing to consult to them on. I have a background in film and it seemed like a fun project um, just to think about with them. But as soon as I started talking both to Elise and to Josh, we just totally hit it off. It was like a real kind of meeting of minds. We started talking about the parallels between psychoanalysis and documentary and like just went on and on. Like we couldn't stop talking. It was like really exciting. And then they floated the idea of me trying to actually be the therapist. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's never going to work. Why did you think it would never work? Because I'm generally, first of all, a very private person. 
I know it's hard to believe now. <laughs> no, I no, I do believe it. everybody I know who works in front of the camera is a very private person. It's odd. Yeah. But also, you know, you choose to be a therapist and a psychoanalyst because you want to like recede in the background and you want the other people to tell their stories. You're not like inclined to put yourself front and center. So tell me the difference between like being a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst. What are the differences? It's a really good question. So a, a psychotherapist can deal with all issues of like mental health or psychological suffering. And there's like many, many ways that people can do psychotherapy. Um, they can do cognitive behavioral work. They can do family therapy work, interfamily systems, behavioral. They can do psychodynamic therapy, which is informed by psychoanalysis, but it doesn't mean that they went through analytic training. And then there's psychoanalysis per se. And, and to become a psychoanalyst, for example, I first did my doctoral and became a clinical psychologist. And then years later, I enrolled in a psychoanalytic training program in an institute at NYU and did another 10 years of training to be a psychoanalyst. And that's a very intensive process. Psychoanalytic therapy means, first of all, we're seriously committed to studying the unconscious. We listen for unconscious factors. And we go deep, like we look for how the past informs the present. We look for how all these things that we defend against shape us and play out in ways that we're not aware of. And we're trained to really look at patterns, patterns of how childhood developmental issues structure the personality, um, patterns of what kind of defense mechanisms go together and form a certain kind of character style. Uh, we're trained at looking at how the relationship with the analyst is replicating something from the past. So in a certain way, we're we're trained at pattern recognition, mm. which is exactly what you were talking about. Like there are certain patterns that you're trained to pick up on and you use your knowledge about development. You use your experience in the room with a person. You use like you pay attention to words, to language. There are many things that we learn to pay attention to. And then it kind of automatically clicks so when you are out to dinner, say, with your a group of friends, yeah. are you psychoanalyzing them? Are you ever <laughs> able to really turn it off? Yeah, I can totally turn it off. Yes. You can? I can totally turn it off. Uh, they're not happy with it, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> they want free treatment. <laughs> but I, I turn it off. I mean, sometimes things kind of, you know, show up and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Can we pause for a second? Do you want me to talk to you as an analyst for a second? Yeah. Let's discuss, I want to talk about some of the biggest themes that certainly come up in the show Couples Therapy, and I'm assuming in part of your practice in general, because I want your take on everything. So infidelity, do you think couples can have a good marriage after infidelity? Yes, I do. I do. And do you think a person can really forgive? And if trust is lost, is it forever lost? Do you think couples can have a good marriage after infidelity? And if trust is lost, is it forever lost? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, if we kind of zoom out for a second, Cheating means different things to different people mm -hmm. and people have different arrangements around what they consider kosher and not kosher. So 
just keeping that in mind immediately changes the way you look at cheating. So for one person, it can be like incredibly traumatic or for one couple. And for another couple, it can be, you know, just like a, a, a developmental step towards something else. So when you have that in mind and when you work with people long enough, you you cheating means something else. And then you try to understand what does this event mean, particularly in the life of this couple to these individuals with their history, what was the function of it? So that's first of all. And then in terms of forgiveness, generally, I think forgiveness is a very important thing in the life of a couple, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And people don't generate this kind of goodwill, ability to comprehend the other person and where they're coming from and care or compassion, which all lead to the capacity to forgive, their relationship is not going to do well. I mean, if a relationship is all about building grievances as opposed to finding ways to feel compassion, forgiveness, care, understanding towards the other person, it's it's going to become a pretty bitter and deadened relationship. So forgiveness is important about anything. I mean, people sometimes can hold grievances about really small things, not not cheating, and and, and it kills the relationship. So forgiveness is important. What are your thoughts on open relationships? And I'm thinking about like Nadine and Christine. Yeah. I'm thinking about them. I really fell in love with that couple. I thought they were so special. And I I don't want to give it away, but I was very sad um, for them in the in the course of their relationship. They're such likable women. Both of them were so likable. But do open relationships work? Do they ever work? Yeah, open relationships do work. It, first of all, it's it's there's more and more people nowadays that are like trying out, experimenting, living these ethical non-monogamous relationships and restructuring the idea of what is a relationship? Does it have to be a couple? Can it be a polycule? I mean, there are many different permutations that people are going through. Mm -hmm. And I certainly have seen very long-term relationships that people just live an open, ethical, non-monogamous life, long-term. Um, so it certainly does work for some, but it doesn't work for everyone. And it doesn't always, it's not always the same for each of the members of the couple. So it really depends on what is the function of it for that particular couple and whether it works for each of them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just like a chapter in the life of a couple and they move on to other ways of being. Sometimes it's like it breaks them apart because it really was not the right solution to whatever they were struggling with. And sometimes it's like joy and joy and more joy. I I have friends that have been in, I always call them thruples, but they tend to be gay. And it seems to work out in this brilliant way where everybody's happy. But it seems in like hetero couples or maybe even lesbian couples or thruples, that seems to be a way trickier thing. And I'm curious if you've noticed that as well. I have noticed that. Totally agree with you. Um, I generally have this belief that gay men, this is a vast generalization. I mean, it really differs. Yeah. But mm -hmm. If I want to make like a really crude generalization, I think gay men have the secret to the best kind of relationships. I think gay men mm -hmm. are really, really good at preserving both friendship and 
sexual aliveness at the same time in a way that it's harder for other couples. Um, it's very interesting to watch that over the years. There's somehow less possessiveness, um, more friendship. That combination keeps sexuality alive. Mm -hmm. Jan, you wanted to get into victim villain flipping. So I, I feel like I have a very good marriage, but anytime we fight or anytime I'm mad at him, he flips it on me immediately and puts me on the defensive. Like I'm all of a sudden, it's like he's mad at me. And I just find it to be the most irritating part of our marriage. Super irritating, super common. So is that gaslighting? Is Jan dealing with gaslighting? No, that is just plain everyday defensiveness, which unfortunately we all suffer with, some more, some less. I'm actually just writing a paper about this. Oh. I think the hardest thing for people, especially in couples, is to be experienced as what we call the bad object. People, their perception of themselves is that they're good people with good intentions. And when a, a complaint comes their way, they feel automatically misunderstood. Mm -hmm. It's just an automatic, like, you got me wrong. And if you listen to them carefully, you understand why they feel misunderstood. The thing is, it's very hard for people, and that's a lot of what I do as a therapist. It's very hard for people to dislodge from their subject position from this is how I feel this is how I see the world and travel into someone else's shoes and both see their experience and see themselves from the outside it's really hard for people to do that and they, they don't like feeling like they've caused harm so they they fight that with all their might so it's not gaslighting it's just like I'm a good person and and there are ways to help people communicate in ways that like get them around that hump so should Jan tell Glenn that he is a good person <laughs> before she brings up any sort of whatever the argument is, whatever it is they're going through? In a way, she should not only tell him, she should remind herself the ways in which he is a good person, speak to him in a way that holds that in her mind and in her words. And while telling him he's a good person, talk to him about ways in which it's, something is hard for her. And that is okay. a different outcome. Do you write that I'll down? I'll try that and I'll report back right? to you. Yes. Now, <laughs> we're going to stay on Jan because in, Jan knew that we would be talking to you today and she felt so panicked about it that she had sex with her husband last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did. She felt like she needed to get it out of her system so that she could carry on. No, 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 no. It had been like, it had been almost two weeks. And I'm like, I can't be the person who doesn't have sex with their husband. So I'm going to make this happen before we have this conversation. Okay. So Jan says, Jan likens this, and I tend to agree with her. Um, sometimes intimacy, and by intimacy, we're talking sexual intimacy, mm -hmm. the act of having sex with your spouse. That is like, exercise. Sometimes the more you do it, the more you do it. And sometimes not doing it leads to this place of chronically not doing it. And is that a very common thing for couples? Sometimes intimacy, and we're talking sexual intimacy, sometimes not doing it leads to this place of chronically not doing it. And is that a very common thing for couples? Yes. 
for some people, often the recommendation, this is not just for me, this is from like sex therapists, often the recommendation is just do it, but if that's not always simple, just do it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what I often talk to couples about is like expanding their idea of what sex is. You know, sex doesn't have to be PIV. Right. It can be lots of things. It can be, and once you just talk about a certain kind of willingness to be physically intimate in many different ways, the pressure is off. And that opens up like a different vocabulary about what's possible. And then it, it's less kind of yes or no binary. We did it. We didn't do it. It it, it becomes more fluid and less inhibitions, less resentments, less in a way grudge or bill settling. But I feel that 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 is so like in heteronormative couples, Dr. Orna needs to have this conversation with Glenn. Yeah. Because I- men so have equivocated intimacy with the act of having sex. At least That's all true. of the men I know and certainly the ones in this room. That's true. <laughs> You know, someone in the couple needs to remember that that's important. And often men are burdened with that. It's not it's not only, a, you know, an entitled right. I mean, it's often a burden. I think there's a tendency to think of men as like dogs this way. But it's a certain kind of responsibility that they bear for that part of the relationship. What about trauma that has not been addressed early on? Um, not within a couple, but within one unit of the couple, how often is that trauma either renewed in the adult life or replayed out within the relationship? Would you say that at the vast root of what you do, there is some underlying trauma, childhood trauma that you're dealing with? If I had to speak very generally, then yes. Yes. But in a certain way, people always bring their past and especially their early experiences, early attachment and early caregiving experiences or experiences with caregivers. They always bring that into their significant relationships, into their intimate relationships. So in a certain way, there's always some kind of replay of the past into the current relationship. Sometimes the past is very traumatic and then it it plays out in very powerful ways in the marriage or in the relationship. Sometimes it's mild and and it's actually lovely. But yes, people use their relationship to address things that happened to them in the past. It seems like the effects of social media and Instagram and Facebook, we all sort of have this love-hate relationship with it because we need it for work, um, but we don't let it define us. But Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit because I find that every time my friends present these like perfect pictures of their marriages and their vacations, when I know that you took 25 pictures to get to that picture, but somehow it still affects me. And I'm kind of looking at my husband being like, why aren't we on vacation? Or why don't we feel so happy? Like somehow, even though I know what it's all about, it still affects me. Like I still feel like shit afterwards. And I understand why it affects like young girls that way, but it's the way it does affect the way I feel about my marriage at times. I think generally people have a certain kind of firewall around their marriages and and love to project a certain kind of image of like American perfection. Uh. That's true. Like before social media, it's, it's like people, you know, sealed lips. They don't talk about problems they're having at home. They don't vent. They can vent about lots of other things, but not about their marriage. 
um, so people use their marriage as a certain kind of message to the world of like, oh, I, I'm living the good life. I made it. So I think that gets exacerbated on social media. Um, it seems to me just like a, a continuation of, of this way that, that marriage serves a certain kind of function in terms of like the social ladder in the society. And it's not real. No. You know, that's the other, it's like, it's never real. A hundred percent of people who live together in a close relationship have problems. A hundred percent. I always say, you know, our kids like to take pictures of us when we're asleep and we, we look terrible and there's dogs in the bed and there's remote controls everywhere. And they'll, somebody will just come in and take a picture of us and they'll send it to me. Stopped home to visit you guys. This is the picture. But if I put that on Instagram, that gets more likes than any picture of us looking pretty or glossy or, you know, so I, cause I think it's that relatable stuff. Yeah, it's your humanity. But listen, I just realized that we're, I, I have a patient. I'm sorry. Oh my oh, gosh. No this is like, this has been such a dream for us. And trust me, I, um, you've given us so much and we really appreciate it. And we love couples therapy love. and we, I, I binge through every season like a pig and whoever <laughs> your patient is, they are very lucky to be sitting with you. So thank you so yes. much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Orna. Appreciate you. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Okay. So Jan, did you get any of your questions answered? I did. I did. And I will think about our arguments differently. I don't know how well it will go. You know, we'll see. But he definitely loves to flip things on me. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try the tactic of saying, I know, you're even, a good person, but. You, I wanted to get into our love language quizzes with her. Next, next time. Lot. Next time. Yeah. yeah. I got I got through page one of our questions for Dr. Orna. Speaking this of questions, is, Kelly, a yes. lot of questions have come in yes. for you. Okay, great. Oh, listener questions well the we ask should play kelly. the sound effect again it's time for ask kelly <laughs> <laughs> okay that was amazing so i'll okay. start albert will do the next one okay so from listener colleen this was about when you guys talked to you and mark talked about your marriage in the okay. first episode can totally relate but honestly thought this was a taboo topic my friend group does not discuss more importantly how do you go about finding a marriage counselor to navigate these bumps in the road oh Colleen, great question. First of all, somebody always has to be the canary in the coal mine. And again, I'm not entirely sure if I know what canary in the coal mine means, <laughs> but I use it all, I use it a lot and with great authority. But in my friend group, I am the one that discusses everything. So I find that when one person opens up, then everybody else feels more comfortable in sharing their own whatever their marital situation is. There's safety in numbers, but it always takes like one sort of brave soul, the canary in the coal mine. The to, I just um, picture canary. Yeah, I know, I, but I, I'm not sure if I even use that correctly, but that that's really what it takes. And finding a couple's counselor is a unique experience. Mark and I uh, found Dr. Linda Carter um, through a referral that Mark got, um, but we had seen two other couples counselors that were not a great fit for us. Definitely not a great fit you for us. You hit the jackpot with Yeah, Dr. Dr. Carter. Carter was special and she's a unique person and I feel like I got lucky in that Dr. Orna kind of way. So um, I feel like if you just 
you know, bring bring it up in passing with your friend group. You might be surprised there will be some, you know, I, I listen, I wouldn't unload all the heavy shit on them immediately. Like you don't want to be like, I have been thinking about killing Bill. You know, like that's not where you want to start. You want to start with something small like, hey, did you ever, you know, have you ever had an argument with your husband where you feel like he is flipping the villain uh, narrative on you? You know, that kind of thing. Like we like we just had with Dr. Orna, Jan's Jan's. We're relieved that Jan is not being gaslit. <laughs> yes. Uh, the next question is from Norma. Can you touch on the struggles of being in an interracial relationship and dealing with the different cultural norms? I'm Puerto Rican and my fiance is Irish American. Oh, that's such an interesting question, Norma. Um, uh, you know what? Let's let's bring in Mark because Mark just walked in. Mark just walked in the door. Um, here's what's interesting. We've been married for 27 years, and years ago, we used to get fan mail at All My Children, like literally like letters in a bag. I'm not kidding. It was very strange. And every now and again, I would get a piece of mail that was like very racially offensive. And I would say that we don't really, for the most part, we don't really think about it that much. It, we've lived our lives and we've fallen in love with each other, not based on, I feel like very privileged that I've gotten to marry into a Latino culture because it is the most fun. So I would say that your fiance is the luckiest person because anytime you marry into a Latino culture, you're just going to have, as me as a white lady, I'm just going to, I have the best time. Yeah. Um, hi, Norma. <laughs> you can't hear her. It's a question. Uh, I think that I think that the one thing that's unique about us is that we share the our Italian heritage, and so we automatically related to each other. Where there was something that we had in common, like really deep, 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 deep in common. Here's what I I would lean hard into each other's cultural yes. differences. I would lean hard into them and embrace them. You know and. And always be cognizant of the fact that there's going to be somebody somewhere that doesn't like it. And you just have to tune those people out. That is really my long-winded answer. But I am long-winded. Okay. Um, Well, bye. I mean. (laughs) Don't forget to follow us. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Jan. (laughs) Don't forget to follow us. Tell your friends to follow us. It's called Let's Talk Off Camera. We can't wait to talk off camera with you next week. It's going to be a good one, guys. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripa is a co-production of Melojo Productions and PRX Productions with help from Goat Rodeo. Our theme song is Follow Me from APM Music. From Melojo, our team is Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Albert Bianchini, Jan Chalet, Devin Schneider, Michael Halpern, Jacob Small, Roz Therian, Seth Gronquist, and Julia Desch. From PRX Productions, our team is Kara Schillen, Genevieve Sponsler, Megan Nidolsky, Edwin Ochoa. Additional sound design by Terrence Bernardo. The executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. This show is powered by Stitcher. Stitcher.